We cook with gas. This is the Sportsnet Hot Stove on Toronto Sports Radio. Sportsnet 590, the fan. You say one for the trouble, two for the time. Come on, y'all, let's rock this. You say one for the trouble, two for the time. Come on. Speech is my hammer, bang the world in the shape, now let it fall. Huh. My restlessness is my nemesis. It's hard to really chill and sit still. Committed to page, I'll write around. Sometimes won't finish for It is the Sportsnet Hot Stove here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. It's Rob Wong with you. Joined alongside by Mark Poffo and Stephen Long of Sportsnet.ca here until 12 noon before we switch over to Sportsnet today. A lot's to get to over the next two hours. We'll uh, chat about the Raptors who are continuing to destroy everyone in their path as uh, Kyle Lowry gets named to the All-Star team and uh, Nick Nurse will be coaching Team Giannis at the All-Star game in a couple of weeks as the uh, Raptors get that second spot in the Eastern Conference. They are back at it tomorrow to uh, wrap up uh, this little run here against the Chicago Bulls at uh, 3 o'clock tomorrow, and uh, then they'll take on uh, Indiana later as well. But the Raptors will kick things off with them momentarily. We'll chat about Kobe Bryant, who uh, last night was remembered by the L.A. Lakers, who played their first game following the death of the Lakers legend. It was a uh, loss, unfortunately, 127-119 to the uh, Portland Trailblazers. But we'll get into that. The Maple Leafs back at it tonight as they will take on the Ottawa Senators in a uh, Battle of Ontario, which is always a classic matchup. Of course, you can watch that game on Hockey Night in Canada. Excuse me. And uh, then we'll talk a little bit about the uh, Super Bowl as well, of course, which finally gets going tomorrow after uh, a couple of weeks off of uh, football. I guess if you're into the Pro Bowl, you could have watched that. But uh, finally, the big game goes tomorrow night between the Chiefs and the 49ers. But, uh, gentlemen, hard to believe. The month of January is uh, finally over. We are in February, and uh, the calendar moves on in the sports world. And for the Raptors, I mean, things are just uh, nice and rosy right now. Sunshine and rainbows. They've won 10 in a row after uh, easily disposing of the Detroit Pistons last night. And as I mentioned, they'll take on the Chicago Bulls tomorrow afternoon on uh, Super Bowl Sunday. And then they'll uh, take on the Pacers in a couple of games as well in a back-to-back on Wednesday and uh, Friday. But this team is just on a roll right now. I know they haven't played the uh, league's best, you know, matchups against New York, matchups against Atlanta, Cleveland, and Detroit. But you can only beat the teams that are in front of you, Stephen. And uh, at this point, the Raptors are, are starting to get a little bit healthier, even though they lose Marcus Saul and Norm Powell to a finger injury last night. But we're finally getting to see this team pretty much all together uh, once Gasol comes back and, you know, hopefully Powell's going to be okay. We'll get a better look at that. But, um, you know, it's not like uh, we saw at some points this year where they were missing a lot of key pieces. Uh, we're seeing a Raptors team that's uh, really come together and gelled and I think is, you know, just looking at its absolute best right now, I think uh, from pretty much what we've seen all season long. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a little unfortunate to me that uh, like they, they did get hit by the injury bug the way they did uh, kind of in the beginning of the season when they were facing much steeper competition. And they obviously made through those rough patches uh, very well. But uh, you have to think and wonders, like, uh, like how, how much would they be pushing the Milwaukee Bucks right now for top spot in, in the East, right? With, with a fully loaded lineup, the way they, they've proven themselves right now. Like, uh, this, this team is, I, I mean, 
is there is there any denying like 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 this this team is a top tier contender in the Eastern Conference. Um, I I feel like uh, they should be able to hold off for the remainder of the season because again the schedule has softened up and and like they made it they made it through all the all the rough rock rough waters right so uh a top two seed in the east and then come the playoffs uh we saw what they did with the top two seed in the east last season right like i i think you have to feel very very good about about yourself if you're a raptor fan right now particularly because uh tomorrow they're probably going to match a franchise record of, of 11 straight wins and then wednesday did they i mean they're at home and they're excellent at home they could set a new franchise record for consecutive wins and uh, yeah. Also, uh, congratulations to Nick Nurse for uh, his first All Star nod. It's been a it's been a pretty amazing Raptors season so far. If you had told me or any other Raptors fans that they could potentially set a franchise record winning streak in a season where they lost Kawhi Leonard and some analysts weren't even picking them to you know make the playoffs, let alone be second in the East, I I wouldn't have believed you. But here we are and. Listen, I said it last week on the show that I felt like Nick Nurse needed some NBA validation or sorry, some league-wide validation for for the job he's done with the team. I know that they won the championship last year and I mean that's the biggest feather in your cap you can you can get, but I think this is just a nice, you know, a nice bow for the organization just to have him coaching the league's best and having them there having him there and the and his coaching staff there amongst uh amongst all the stars because he, f- for my money he's going to be coach of the year or he's right there in in the thick of it he should be coach of the year he should like he should be the front runner with all of the with all of the injuries that there were with with the departures in the off season the fact that you're getting rotational minutes from guys like Terrence Davis who you know weren't even drafted i just can't say enough about Nick Nurse and the job that he and his staff have done yeah, and I think he should get a lot of pub in a couple of weeks' time at the All-Star Game since he's going to be there for the first time. And, uh, you know, you would have thought he would have gotten the validation already coming off uh, the championship last year. But, uh, you know, I think a lot of people looked at it and said, ah, but you had Kawhi Leonard and you had Danny Green and you had all these pieces. Like, of course, you're going to look good when you've got those guys. But uh, now he doesn't have those guys. And, uh, you know, taking a look at some of the numbers here, uh, the Raptors are second in defensive efficiency, according to ESPN and their numbers. And, which is actually boosted from where it was a year ago. They were uh, fourth last year, so they've actually improved in that department despite losing Kawhi Leonard and despite losing Danny Green. And, you know, I, I think I still need to see a case where they're going to be playing some of these top teams the, the rest of the way, and I want to see how they fare. Like I said, they've been beating up on these, uh, you know, lesser lights in the NBA and the Eastern Conference, and you're not really going to learn much from, you know, watching the Raptors beat up on these teams. You know, we saw what they did against Cleveland the other night where, you know, they they showed their uh, championship pedigree and the, the veteran wherewithal at the end of the game to be able to make the plays um, down the stretch and, and come away with the win there. But when they're hammering Detroit on the second night of a back-to-back, I mean, th- that's not really jumping off the page for me. So I'm going to be interested to see um, how they fare. Obviously, it will depend on how healthy they are if they get Marcus all back in time and uh, hopefully Norm Powell's okay when they take on some of these better teams. I think that'll be an interesting uh, litmus test for this Raptors squad. Uh, moving forward, but um, Kyle Lowry, uh, guys, going to another All Star game, sixth year in a row, 
And, you know, I was talking about this earlier in the week when the announcement was made on, on one of my shows that I think you need to take off the arguably tag on Kyle Lowry at this point. He is the greatest Raptor of all time. When you look at his resume for me with the championship, with the longevity, now another all-star game for, for Lowry. You know, I understand Kawhi Leonard in the season that he had. If he doesn't have it here in Toronto, then the Raptors most likely do not win that championship. So he's sort of cemented himself into the top two conversation. I'm sure some people even have him as number one just based off of that one season. But if we're taking in full resumes into account, um, Kyle Lowry has surpassed DeMar DeRozan because of what he's been able to accomplish, Stephen. And uh, this is just another feather in his cap heading to another all-star game. The guy's getting older, but uh, doesn't seem to be slowing down anytime soon. Uh, Shameless plug here, but uh, like a, near near the beginning of the season, like, uh, .ca, we put together like a top 25 Raptors list of all time, and Kyle Lowry was voted the the number one Raptor of all time. But surprisingly, he wasn't the unanimous choice. I was I was a little taken aback by that because like I I think I like I think Kyle Lowry you you could make the argument, and to me it wasn't uh, without a question. He's been the greatest Raptor of all time since dating back to even before Kawhi got here just because he all he had the longevity he's been he's been the most consistent Raptors performer ever right like defensively offensively yeah he's had his ups and downs and, and people wanted to pick on him for like not showing up that much in the playoffs before but I mean he had he was the the key man in game six like to, to start the game of the NBA finals and then obviously uh, Van Vliet kind of finishes it off uh, and six-time All-Star, that's that's a Raptors record. He's the only Raptor player to make the All-Star game six times. And uh, I think I think Grange wrote about it uh, earlier this week. He has a very he has a building case for for the Hall of Fame. But like, you want to talk about arguable? Uh, at this point, he's an arguable Hall of Famer. And at the rate he's still going, and like, I don't, he doesn't look like he's slowing down at any any point, right? Like like like, let's say the Raptors make another Eastern Conference Final. And he performs fantastic again, right? I I think he has a growing case where he should probably be in a Hall of Fame discussion right now. He's a Hall of Fame level player. Yeah, I mean the Hall of Fame could be in his sights. I I haven't delved into it enough to know to think if he should make it for sure or not. In my mind, he is just based on what he's done to the Raptors. But I, you know, we'll see how the voting goes there post career. But. For me, he's the best Raptor of all time, like you had said, Rob. The six straight All-Star appearances are fantastic. And, you know, I'm on the record saying that I didn't think he would necessarily make the All-Star team this year, just based on a few factors, him missing some time earlier in the year, uh, Zach Levine having a great year in the, in the game being in Chicago. I thought he might get a nod. And it's just tough to make the All-Star team as a guard. You look at a guy like Bradley Beal didn't even make it. So... I thought that that might have been working against him, but he is totally deserving, and it's great to see him there. And you know what? Like, I'm I'm always I'm always kind of I'll take the rest. If you're watching the Raptors, you want to see Kyle Lowry be fresh in the second half of the season. But I think it's just he's a great ambassador for the city, for the team, the entire organization. So um, I'm happy to see him there uh, alongside Pascal Siakam because they are both extremely deserving. Yeah, I think what's going to be interesting, just as a, a quick aside, when it comes to Kyle Lowry as a, a Hall of Famer, I, I agree with you, Stephen. Like, I think he's tracking towards that. And I think even if this were his last year in the NBA, he probably would make it in just based off of what he's done over the last, uh, you know, 
10 years uh, in the NBA and obviously getting that championship is, is a big thing. These all-star appearances. And, and the one guy that I always think of when it comes to the hall of fame, not that he was a bad player by any means, but I look at a guy like Mitch Richmond, who's in the Naismith hall of fame, great player, like an all-star multiple time, all-star, um, you know, one on NBA title, albeit essentially as a bench warmer on, you know, those Kobe and Shaq teams, but that guy's in the hall of fame. So like if Mitch Richmond is in the hall of fame, Kyle Lowry should be in the hall of fame. I think when you look at um, that uh, hall of fame specifically, it's pretty easy to get in for the most part. I know voting has changed over the years and we have a lot more advanced numbers and that would probably help Kyle Lowry's case because if you just look at his entire career, um, you know, the first six seasons or so were not particularly good for Kyle. So his career averages are only 14 points per game, um, four rebounds and six assists. But since coming to Toronto, the, the numbers are, you know, much, much better than that. So um, it, it's sort of a tale of two halves in a guy's career where you kind of throw out the first half and you really only look at the second half. And with that, I, I feel like, that is enough for Kyle Lowry and his resume to, to get the call to, um, you know, Springfield, uh, Ohio. Yeah, uh, to your point, Springfield is not Cooperstown. No. Right? Uh, like, obviously, the, the Baseball Hall of Fame has a much more stringent kind of process than, than it comes with, uh, with basketball. Basketball, it really does feel more like uh, if you have a championship ring or if you put up a lot, a lot of points – and and had a lot of longevity. You're you're probably going to get in, right? Uh, um, Vince Carter's getting. Yeah, like like Vince Vince Carter's getting is, is going to get in. I don't necessarily agree with it, but he's just getting in because he has been around forever. He's playing for four decades, and he's put up a lot of points, and he he's made a lot of memories. Many like everywhere he's he's gone. So like he's going to be a Hall of Famer, whether or not you you agree with that assessment. Uh, I, I think that's a fair debate, but like that's just the way it goes. And so, and to your point, like Kyle Lowry is definitely a Hall of Famer, just based on his Raptors resume alone. Like, like he's had the he's 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 had the greatest run as a Raptor ever, and that should just get you in by proxy, right? Like, isn't Yao Ming in the Hall of Fame? And I mean, he he was an incredible talent, but he had a a career that was just marred with injuries. But when you look at, you know, basketball as a, as a worldwide phenomenon, like Yao Ming is one of the central figures there in growing the game. So I think you're right, Stephen, when you just consider the, the Raptors legacy and what he did for basketball in this country and everybody just, you know, jumping on the bandwagon for that run last year where the whole country was immersed in this Raptors run. Like, I think for basketball in Canada, you can definitely make that argument that, you know, he was a key cog on a team that an entire country was was following. Yeah, I think that's a great case. And I think that is part of the why Yao Ming actually got into uh, the Naismith Hall of Fame because of uh, the impact that he had in China all those years, despite his uh, career getting cut short because of injuries and uh, the numbers not exactly jumping off the page. And, of course, uh, no uh, championship rings for a guy like him. Getting things back to uh, the Raptors, uh, of course, uh, winners of nine in a row as uh, they get set to take on the Bulls tomorrow. The uh, NBA trade deadline is is coming up quickly, gentlemen. And, uh, you know, throughout the season, we've heard different rumors when it comes to the Raptors. Heck, if we even want to go back to the beginning of the season, there was, you know, people chatting about what if this season goes sideways? Do you move Gasol? Do you move Ibaka? Do you move even Kyle Lowry at this point? 
None of those conversations, I imagine, are, are happening at this point, even though there was a uh, recent report out of L.A. that maybe the Raptors would be entertaining things. But as you mentioned to me, Stephen, before uh, the show started, the, the Raptors are pretty tight-lipped. They, they don't let much get out um, when it comes to things. Like, uh, you know, we go back to even last year, like the Marcus Gasol stuff kind of came out of nowhere. And, uh, you know, like maybe a week prior, there was uh, conversations. We heard reports about maybe it's Gasol and Conley for Kyle Lowry and something else. And that was really like the first we heard of it. And then it ends up being, uh, of course, uh, Jonas Valanciunas, DeLon Wright uh, for, uh, for Marcus Gasol last year. But we've heard Tristan Thompson's name. We've heard Andre Drummond at one point. And I think if you watch the game last night, you want no part of Andre Drummond uh, on this Raptors team. But what is a realistic fit at this point for the Raptors when it comes to, um, you know, trade candidates, can they make a big swing or, or are you expecting them to maybe just uh, make some moves around the periphery, whether it's a, another big, whether it's another guy that can handle the ball. Um, we saw last year, of course, the buyout market, Jeremy Lin was a the guy they brought in ultimately didn't work, but you know, something like that, maybe the Raptors could be doing, are you expecting a lot or a little as we get closer to the trade deadline? Um, I'm fully expecting the Raptors just to stand pat at the deadline. Like, uh, if you take a look at what their needs are, their number one need, and, you know, based on the way they play, is not really that big a need. It's just uh, kind of defensive rebounding and maybe a little offensive rebounding, which is why I think uh, beyond just the Canadian connection, a guy like Tristan Thompson, his name is floated around. But he's not going to make the team any better, and he actually might make them worse because this is a team that's its offense is predicated around pace and space you want to spread the floor your bigs need to be able to shoot the ball they need to be able to run the floor and you know sometimes that's going to mean while you're leaking out to try to get down the other end of the floor you are not going to be able to grab as many defensive rebounds as you would if you're just kind of packing the paint and kind of being a little more methodical right and then defensively this, this is a team that's, well, well, we've, their defense is clearly works. They're, they're like the number two rated defense in the entire league. And there's this defense predicated on like scrambling. They do zones. They, they do a whole bunch of really interesting things that aren't necessarily traditional. So like getting a guy who can grab you a few extra boards, that that's nice. Doesn't really help them. Like the way that they can improve maybe is just to add, like you said, like add on the periphery. Like uh, a guy like Matt Thomas, he's nice. He doesn't really get a lot of burn. So like, like maybe they go out and just get, maybe add another extra shooter, right? Like uh, unfortunately, they don't really have an additional roster spot right now. So they can't really add, add, like, like even in the buyout market. But yeah, like, like I, I just feel this team is good enough as is right now. And it's very important also just when you look ahead that that they have their finances kind of lined up perfectly for obviously the big summer of 2021, right? Uh, like Because right now, Ibaka and Gasol, their deals expire at the end of this season. Um, they will need to get the Van Vliet deal done in the off season. Uh, Siakam's extension will be kicking in next season, and then uh, Lowry's deal will expire at the end of next season. And for anyone who seriously is entertaining the idea that Kyle Lowry is going to be traded, it's like, no, yeah. Kyle Lowry is not going to be traded. And nor sh- why would you entertain that thought at all? Like, like he is, as we said, the best player in franchise history. And straight up, the team does not win. They're not successful. 
without him. It's, 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 and I think they're good enough right now to make a huge run to the Eastern Conference Final. And then the toss-up, you, you just don't know. Like The league has a lot more parity than people think just because uh, this was a little top-heavy. But in that top-heavy grouping, there are multiple, multiple teams, I think, that could win the championship. Yeah, and I guess... When you look at this uh, roster, Mark, and, and you've got guys like Marcus Saul, Serge Ibaka on expiring contracts, you know, not that you couldn't improve on them, but they're such integral parts of this team where Gasol is the the Embiid whisperer, right? He's the guy that shuts down him if you face them in the second round. Uh, Serge Ibaka has just been phenomenal the, the last couple of years under Nick Nurse. He's just completely turned around his game, turned around his career. And even if you're looking beyond that, Norm Powell having a career season, is that a guy you want to move at this point where he's just automatic off the bench for, you know, 15-plus points every night? Uh, that was something we were looking for last year with this Raptors team, right? A guy that could come off the bench and give you some instant scoring, and, and now you have that in Norm Powell. Terrence Davis is not a guy that I'm moving off of. He's he's found money at this point, making league minimum, essentially. Uh, this guy seemingly has a bright future. And even OG Ananobi, who's been up and down this year, Still, I mean, there's a lot left in there. Do you want to give up on a guy who's so young, still making peanuts um, at this stage to, to make an upgrade? He's not untouchable. None of these guys are untouchable. But in the grand scheme of things, with what you have right now, it's just difficult to imagine a scenario where, you know, you're bringing in something that will just completely transform this roster. I mean, we, we go back to the Kawhi Leonard trade. It's still mind-blowing that all it cost you was DeMar DeRozan and Jakob Pertl, and you didn't have to give up Siakam or, or OG Ananobi or, or anything like that outside of first round pick um but you know you can make a case like steven said for this raptors team to stand pad the way it is i think that that's absolutely the move at this point I, you mentioned the buyout market i think that's the way you have to go see if you can add a, a veteran on the cheap somebody that wants to chase a championship and, and go on a potentially a, a long run i and i mean you, you hit on it rob like for for me the chemistry is just such a is like you've got such a good thing going right now with it. Found money, like you said, with Terrence Davis. OG is somebody that you drafted, also kind of found money that he dropped in the draft after his injury. But, you know, the thought process was he always had a high ceiling, and you're seeing that he's a valuable contributor, especially defensively. And I, I just, I'm impressed by his development. And, you know, I just feel like they were prepared the organization with with whatever i mean i think that they had kind of there were two paths they could go if they scuffled out the gate and were kind of treading water you've got a baka gasol on all these expiring deals and you had you you uh signed lowry that extension which made him a bit more tradable at the beginning of the year if if things went sideways but things haven't gone sideways things have gone pretty much as perfect as they can be uh, save for the injuries, which they weathered early in the season. So I just don't think you can make a move like that because, you know, you're going to have to give up to get somebody. And then you're really, you know, trying to find some rotational chemistry over the last like 30, 40 games of the season. And I just think you've got a good thing going right now with everything that they've been doing. Well, the NBA trade deadline is just a few days away on uh, February the 6th. So we'll see if the Raptors uh, do anything. They are back 
at it tomorrow as they'll uh, take on the Chicago Bulls. We'll have that game here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan tomorrow beginning at 3 o'clock. When we come back, it's been a tough week for not only the NBA but the sports world. Last night, the LA Lakers remembered the great Kobe Bryant uh, before their game against the Portland Trailblazers. We'll talk about all things Kobe next. It is the uh, Sportsnet Hot Stove. Rob Long, Stephen Lung, Mark Boffo on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Sports. Sportsnet 590. The Fan. Sportsnet Hot Stove, Rob Long, Mark Boffo, Stephen Long with you here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Still to come, we'll chat about the Maple Leafs who are back at it tonight taking on the Ottawa Senators, a game you can watch on Hockey Night in Canada. We'll also chat about the Battle of Alberta, which resumes tonight. That rivalry is back, baby. The uh, Oilers and Flames squaring off tonight in Calgary as the Oilers look to get their revenge following the uh, shootout loss on Wednesday night. And we'll chat about the Super Bowl which finally gets going tomorrow. All the talk is done, but uh, one more day to talk about it, of course, as the Chiefs square off against the San Francisco 49ers. But the uh, story, gentlemen, that has been dominating headlines all week long has been the passing of uh, Kobe Bryant, and and hard to believe it hasn't even been a week since uh, the news first broke about the helicopter crash in California that killed Kobe Bryant, his uh, daughter Gianna, and seven others on that uh, aircraft and last night the uh, Lakers played their first game since the news they of course postponed their game against the Clippers earlier in the week and last night uh, had a great uh, pre-game ceremony for Kobe uh, a lot of different celebrities involved and, and LeBron James um, giving one of those speeches that I think we'll uh, never forget and it will be played uh, for many years to come and it was such an emotional night uh, even just watching it on on TV last night as the uh, Lakers took on the, the Portland Trailblazers and uh, in the end, unfortunately for the Lakers, they, they lose that game. I'm sure they would have um, loved to win that game. But I think, you know, what we have all seen uh, and realized, you know, following the death of Kobe, that there are bigger things in life um, than the game of basketball. But uh, we'll start with you, Stephen. You know, I think everybody is going to be remembering this forever for as long as we live, you know, where we found out um, that this, you know, unfortunate accident and this tragic news happened. Uh, where were you? Um, my story is not exciting at all. I was, uh, vacuuming my apartment and then I get a phone call from my, uh, my boss, uh, and he's in, and he's like, get on your computer right now. Uh, I, I believe Kobe Bryant just passed away and my, I literally said like, what, what, what are you talking about? And then I, I, I go onto my, I go onto my phone and I check the timeline and I'm just floored. I'm just completely stunned. Just like, like, how do you process? How do you process that? Like, it's just insanity. Like, Kobe was uh, definitely. I think. I think for our generation, he was Michael Jordan. He he was the greatest. Well, like you can argue whether or not he's the greatest player of 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 his generation, but he's the most influential player. Without question of of our of our generation. Yeah. Yeah. Mark, uh, what about you? No, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, for basketball fans in our age group, 
he was the guy. I mean, you he spent 20 years in the league, came in as an 18-year-old. So if you're of a certain vintage, like you grew up alongside Kobe. You, you remember like even the old like N64 game, like uh, Kobe Bryant, NBA courtside and whatever. Like that was one of the first like basketball games I remember playing and, and stuff like that. And it just, it transcended past the court. I mean, people seem to really embrace his mindset, the the mama mentality and, and just trying to better themselves. And he really saw that last night that, that uh, the guy just was the most popular figure in, in Los Angeles in how he really was just the, that city's son. Like it was, it was quite a sight to see watching the game yesterday and, and, and the, the pregame ceremony. I, I have some thoughts on it. Number one, like, postponing the game on Tuesday was a hundred percent the right move. I mean, I, I was kind of in the camp where as heartbreaking as it was, I feel like what a lot of players said was accurate that Kobe Bryant would want them on the court playing and, you know, soldiering on as, as if, as if nothing happened to, to kind of just let basketball heal, heal the wounds. And I, I totally understand that side of it, but even just watching LeBron James addressed the crowd yesterday. I mean, it's clear that Tuesday would have been a little too raw and too too soon. So I'm glad they postponed the Clippers and Lakers game on that Tuesday. But yeah, like last night, I, I feel like I think Rachel Nichols had said it on the broadcast that um, a lot of people believe that last night was the night that LeBron James truly became a Laker. And I can I can definitely subscribe to that. I mean, he is the alpha male of that team. He's he's now the one who's continuing on uh, the legacy of Kobe Bryant in the Lakers uniform. And it's, you know, it was really, I mean, I can't, I can't understand people that don't like LeBron James or ha- have a problem with LeBron James. He's an, he's an exceptional ambassador for the game. And he sees the moment last night uh, addressing the crowd. And I think it was something that, uh, that Laker fans and basketball fans around the world really need to see. Yeah, and, and, you know, I mentioned this earlier in the week on one of my shows that, you know, and like I just mentioned a few moments ago, the the one, I think, lesson that we're, you know, learning from the passing of Kobe Bryant is that we can't take um, a lot of these athletes that we watch and, um, you know, some people idolize for granted. that You're not sure how, how, you know, how long they're going to be here. And I think the, the one thing that stands out um, this past week that I saw was, you know, Shaquille O'Neal on that TNT tribute saying, you know, I grew up. Uh, watching Charles Barkley. Now I get to work with him. I grew up watching, uh, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Bill Russell. And like, I've gotten to meet them. And and he listed some other people. And it's like, this doesn't happen in the NBA. Like the greats of the game outside of a a few, whether it's, you know, Will Chamberlain, of course, you know, they're still here. They're they're still walking among us. They're still a big part of the NBA. And and a lot of people envision Kobe Bryant, you know, maybe he was going to own the Lakers someday. Um, You know, maybe he was going to be, you know, in some part of, of the game for the next, you know, 40, 50 years of his life. And that's, what's so jarring that um, a guy like him who, you know, was so much larger than life. And, and, you know, people were saying early in the week and and it's, you know, uh, you kind of agree with it. It's like, you didn't think Kobe Bryant was going to die because this is a guy, the mom mentality mentioned. It's like, it was going to take a lot for this guy um, to go and for it to happen so sudden. I think that that's what's been so jarring for, for a lot of people um, with the passing of Kobe Bryant. But um, you know, LeBron James, I agree with you, Mark. Like uh, this is a guy that, um, you know, we're just, I think some people take, 
for granted, and I hope they don't now, um, what this guy means to uh, not only the game of basketball, but outside of basketball for what he's done in, in places like, you know, Akron, Ohio, and, you know, a lot of other charitable things that he does. Like, this this is a guy that um, has really cemented his, his place in the, in the NBA, and I hope people, you know, really start appreciating uh, what, what he does for the game and, and outside the game as well, Stephen. Yeah, uh, to your to your point about about Kobe, just just kind of going back to him for just a second. Uh, like I feel, again, 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 just kind of going back to like guys of our generation. Like Kobe was like a superhero, right? And so that's what was so shocking uh, at the fact that like Kobe, like Kobe Bryant is not allowed to die in a helicopter crash. He's he's supposed if he's going to go out, it's supposed to be like at the age of like a hundred and fifty, trying to dunk on like someone yeah. right like that that was the way kobe bryant was supposed to go out right he's, he's like a rock star right on but unfortunately like life is very fleeting and kind of going back to lebron lebron it might actually be one of the he's one of the two greatest basketball players to ever to ever live right and uh, but he's actually gone beyond what jordan has done with his charitable work off the court you know like the i promise school uh, he was, he's been very vocal about Trayvon Martin, everything, everything like that, you know, like shut up and dribble. Uh, and then this is, this is the legacy that LeBron James and a lot of basketball players, like a lot of basketball players have been very political in their careers. And, uh, and what Mark was, was saying like, uh, earlier, like, like basketball is a very modern sport, right? Like, like the, the idea that, uh, that the legends are still here. Right, and then you can still go out and meet the legends. Like, like I, I met Dominique Wilkins, and and uh, and I met Julius Irving. Right, like they they are still here, right? And so, so to for for one of the young legends, Kobe Bryant, to be ripped away from us, I think I think that's that's what really really stung. Yeah, it definitely uh, did, and and the tributes uh, this past week were were incredible to watch. I mean, a lot of the stories that I, th- I think we're getting, the unknown stories of of Kobe Bryant, have have uh, really stood out as well. Uh, we'll take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk more about Kobe. We'll chat about some of our favorite memories of the uh, Lakers legend. It is the Sportsnet Hot Stove. Rob Wong, Stephen Lung, Mark Bonfo here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Subscribe to our radio shows at iTunes or with your favorite podcatcher. No medical exam or health questions will be asked. Sportsnet 590, the fan on demand. Sportsnet 590, the fan. I like stunning, I like shining, I like million dollar deals, where's my pen, bitch I'm signing, I like those Balenciagas, the ones that look like socks, I like going to the jeweler, I put rocks all in my watch, I like sexes from my exes when they want a second chance, I like proving Sportsnet Hot Stove, Sportsnet Radio Network, Rob Wong, Mark Bonfo, and Stephen Lung with you. Still to come, we'll chat about the Maple Leafs. We'll uh, chat about the Battle of Alberta, which gets going again tonight between the uh, Flames and Oilers. And we'll talk about the Super Bowl, which gets going tomorrow between the uh, 49ers and Chiefs. Finally, we can talk about the actual game itself and watch it tomorrow. Uh, It should be a lot of fun down in Miami. But in the meantime, we continue to remember 
Kobe Bryant and, and talk about some of our favorite memories of Kobe because, as you guys mentioned before, this generation of basketball fans, there's really been two guys that have, you know, stood out the most to, to us, and one's LeBron James and the other is uh, Kobe Bryant. Uh, I sort of saw the tail end, I think we all did, of Michael Jordan's career, of course. We understand what he means to the game of basketball, but for the last uh, 15, 20 years, it's Kobe, LeBron. There's been some other guys sprinkled in between, of course, whether it's uh, Kevin Durant or Steph Curry, uh, but Kobe and LeBron have had the biggest impact uh, on not only our generation, but uh, the world of uh, sports and, and basketball. And I remember the, the first memory I had of Kobe was the slam dunk contest where he went between the legs. And at the time it was like, oh my God, going between the He's legs, like, yeah, like, yeah. wow, what a crazy dunk. And we've seen some of the stuff since that uh, is like a hundred times better. But for that time in the early night, in the mid nineties, or for that generation, going between your legs was, it was like uh, Isaiah Ryder taken to the extreme. Yeah. Right? Like and Kobe Bryant and uh, he just was so scrawny, had the, the bald head, had the attitude. That was my first memory of him and then the the second memory i have of kobe was the 98 all-star game where he and michael went at it at madison square garden a young 19 year old kobe right i think it was the youngest all-star at the time in nba history and then of course his career took off whether it's the 81 point game a lot of those championships um but it's the earliest memories i have of kobe that really stand out uh, from when he was just a young scrawny kid um and doing you know great things at the uh, nba level uh what do you remember most about uh Kobe Bryant, Stephen. Uh, what I remember most about him was just uh, his his fearlessness. Like, uh, like, like I, I believe uh, in his playoff debut in a clinching game, he airballed like four, airballed him yeah. four, four shots, right? Like, like in in overtime, tanks the Lakers' chances, right? And, and there was a lot written about him, a lot said about him. It's like, like this kid needs to learn how to pass the ball. This kid needs to learn to play better team basketball. And what he, what he ended up doing was like, no, just give me the ball. I am going to take the shot every single time. And I know there's a lot, there was a lot of dissent against that mentality because people, obviously it's beautiful when the ball whips around and everyone gets to share it. But the 81 point game is the best example of this. The, the Raptors were going to win that game. I, I believe they were up as much as 17 or 18, like mid, like kind of early in the third quarter. Yeah. And then Kobe explodes because he just decides to take every single shot himself. And that was the perfect I indication of the player that he was because he, he understood what his talent was. He understood the work that he put in, right? So... He saw the lack of talent around him in the 81-point game. He had, like, Smush Parker. Yeah. And, uh, like, like a bunch. I think Lamar Oldham was the only other player of note on, on that team, right? So he lo looks around. He's like, I got a bunch of scrubs around me, but I don't want to lose this game. So give me the ball. Get the hell out of my way because we're not losing. And I think that was the Mamba mentality. That's why I loved him. I think that's why a lot of people loved him. The idea that, like... You're so singularly talented and you worked so hard. So, and, and you're going to show the world, I am this damn good.
Yeah. And what's crazy about that game, Mark, it was replayed on Sportsnet the other night. This is before, like, the three-point era that we're seeing now. So this is coming back from, you know, almost 20 points down, like, late in the third quarter, back in an era where people are still taking long twos, not taking as many threes, and the Raptors still lose that game. Like, just based off of the era, you're not expecting a team to lose that game. And every time, you know, I watch it, every time it's replayed, I'm like, how do the Raptors actually lose this game? But they always do because Kobe Bryant just has uh, one of the greatest performances in NBA history. Yeah, we were watching here the other night the 81-point game when they replayed it. And, yeah, a lot of a lot of jumpers uh, a foot or two in from the free, uh, from the three-point line. So, yeah, it was a different time. But, yeah, going back to Kobe memories, like um, – I'm I always have that that uh, that lob to Shaq is always uh, top of mind and just Shaq just looking so happy like pointing. pointing Was it a lob though? (laughs) You know, for for this discussion, on the box score was a lob. Um, But also, I mean, yeah, like just the fearlessness, like you said, Stephen, just him taking over games, not being afraid to take the last shot whether it went in or not, but, you know, he wanted that pressure on him. And I know this one is, like, the most recent on-court memory we have of him, so it's not a a real stretch, but his final game where he dropped 60, like, not even him dropping 60 points, like, he had that entire arena wrapped around his finger. You had, like, celebrities just you know, their jaws dropped. Like, they really wanted to send him off the right way. And uh, that that was just a captivating night of television, watching that at home, just seeing the entire arena buzzing in what was ultimately a nothing game for the Lakers uh, as they played their season out. But it was uh, it was just like a magical scene that night. Yeah, it definitely was. And, and, you know, I think about a lot of the in-game dunks that, that Kobe had as well. I think of the one on Dwight Howard when he was like a rookie in Orlando. I think of him going behind the back and cramming on Vincent Yarbrough in transition. Like just over the years, Kobe Bryant with just numerous memories. Like you think of the resume that he had and like so many plays just jump off the page for you. And, and that just shows like the impact that he had and just how special of a player um, he was. The 81 point game, you know, I, I think in Toronto for a long time, we wore it like just <laughs> really upset about it and being like, wow, I can't believe we were the team that gave up 81 points. And I think this started to even happen before the passing. Right. But even before the passing of Kobe Bryant, I think in recent years, maybe it's the championship hangover, but it was sort of like, yeah, we're that team that gave up 81 points to Kobe Bryant. Like we can always sort of cherish that, that it happened, you know, on our watch and and we were all witnessing greatness that night. That's that's exactly the point, right? Because you're, you're there because you're watching the game live. Like, like it it seemed like an, it was like an innocuous Sunday evening, let's say like a six o'clock, six 30 start. Right. Or actually, or, or in nine, nine o'clock over here. Right. So it's kind of late on, on a Sunday probably not it's not really destination viewing particularly with like that particular raptors team wasn't great right and but like if you're a hardcore raptors fan you're a hardcore basketball fan here in toronto you were you're gonna watch the game and you're like wow like i just i just witnessed history yeah. this was amazing well and that game right? doesn't take off until the you know end of the third quarter and the fourth quarter right it, like you know steven said it's sort of innocuous and not really think much about it. and even at that time i was watching that game as a kid and being like wow 
The Raptors are not a very good team, but they're about to beat Kobe Bryant in LA in like a pretty big game here against the Lakers where I'm sure they, they feel like it means a lot. And then of course uh, everything goes awry, but uh, yeah, we sort of wear the badge of honor. Now I think a lot of Raptors fans that uh, we were the team, the Raptors were the team that uh, gave up 81 to Kobe Bryant. Oh, I, f- I feel like it's just hard to disrespect greatness. And even when, you know, I liken it to LeBron just dominating when he was with the Cavs and, and sending them to all those finals and the Raptors were victim to him. And, you know, this place was known as Lebronto for a little <laughs> bit. And at that point, I think it was six or se- six or seven straight finals that LeBron was going to. And it's just like, you know what? Sometimes you just have to tip your cap. Like this man is just, you know, a phenomenal athlete that was taken first overall for a reason. And he is a generational player and you just have to, he's, he's that good. And you just have to, like you'd mentioned in the last segment, Rob, like not take for granted when these, you know, amazing athletes or artists or whatever you may, whatever in your life, uh, you enjoy doing you know you have to kind of soak it in because you never know when it's gonna end yeah and i think we've experienced a a lot of that uh throughout the years like you know lebron james specifically uh you know for a long time still is i guess in some circles maybe not anymore but you know still a polarizing guy even kevin durant right he's the most polarizing guy in the nba kevin durant's one of the five best players i have personally ever seen in my entire more because of his social media accounts yeah i understand but you know when it comes to basketball people like hold that against him for you know going to golden state and all that but the sky I singularly as a player is one of the five best players I've ever seen play the game of basketball. He's a seven so. footer who can shoot like 40% from three. Yeah. That's impossible. Yeah. Right? So, so we look at guys like that. And, and even now with Steph Curry, even last night, you look at a guy like Damian Lillard and it's like, we're just so privileged to be able to watch a lot of these guys right now in the NBA and, and other sports. We're looking at Nadal, Federer and Djokovic and tennis, of course. I love the fact that Tiger Woods was able to win the Masters last year because it's kind of reignited the flame for for a lot of people and even, you know, showed a new generation of golf fans like, yeah, this was the guy that we all saw every freaking week just win tournament after tournament and was such a such a dominant force. Like this is you understand now, like all the hype and, and why um, everybody was so invested in him. So um, I hope that that's something that a, a lot of people, you know, uh, take from uh, what has gone on this past week that uh, we should not uh, take for granted a lot of these uh, phenomenal athletes that we get to see on a night-to-night basis. And uh, last night was uh, a great moment in uh, uh, for the for the Lakers to be able to start the healing process and uh, a nice pregame ceremony that they held for the uh, late Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gianna, and the seven others that passed on that helicopter crash last Sunday. When we come back, it's the uh, final hour of the Sportsnet Hot Stove. We'll kick things off talking about the Maple Leafs. We're back at it tonight in the Battle of Ontario against the Senators. It is the Sportsnet Hot Stove. Rob Long, Mark Boffo, Stephen Long here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Sportsnet Odd Stove, Rob Wong, Mark Boffo, Stephen Lung with you. Final hour of the program before we switch over to Sportsnet Today. Coming up at uh, 12 o'clock. 
uh, all the way with you until 2 p.m. We'll uh, chat with Todd Warner, Maple Leafs, CHL analyst for Sportsnet. Louis Atzman, Raptors Republic, will stop by. Arash Mandani of Sportsnet is down in Miami for the Super Bowl. We'll uh, check in with Arash, and uh, we'll chat with Harrison Sanford, co-host of Inside the Green Room with uh, Danny Green. Uh, Harrison obviously has been pretty close to this uh, situation out in L.A. this past week with the uh, death of Kobe Bryant, so we'll check in with uh, Harrison uh, who was at the game last night covering the Lakers and Portland Trailblazers. But tonight, it is the uh, Battle of Ontario once again. The Maple Leafs taking on the Ottawa Senators. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but I tend to uh, go down some really weird rabbit holes on YouTube from time to time. And uh, the other night, found myself watching some uh, early 2000s uh, Maple Leafs Senators playoff games. And uh, the one game that I uh, checked out was the Matt Sundin game winner. In uh, game one of that series, I don't even remember what year that was, uh, so long ago, but it's the one where Matt's wins it in overtime. All you hear is ping off the crossbar, and uh, it's crazy that he even scored from that distance uh, because that game was one nothing. That was the final of that game. The goaltending was absolutely superb with uh, Curtis Joseph and Patrick Laleen, but Matt's wins it from uh, like a 1,000 feet out on that uh, slap shot. But, you know, I wish we could get back to those days because there is nothing like Maple Leafs and Senators when it comes to that rivalry. Like, you know, right now we see Maple Leafs and Bruins, of course. The Bruins have had the upper hand. We occasionally see Maple Leafs and uh, Canadians or Maple Leafs and Flyers. Like, eh, there's some, you know, spark to that every once in a while. But Leafs and Sens from the early 2000s, there was really nothing like that. And we're going to talk coming up later this hour about the Battle of Alberta and what that's going through right now, having that uh, flame reignite, but um, reignited, I should say. But the uh, Battle of Ontario for, from, you know, 20 years ago is just superb and every time those teams met you knew what you're gonna get you're just hating daniel alfredson on the other side you're hating darcy tucker and ty domi and you're like ah marion Hosa, like this guy's so good and martin Havlett, like why do they have all these good guys uh it's so maddening but luckily for the maple Leafs fans they always came out on top so it yeah. didn't even matter that they you know lost all the regular season games come playoff time it's it's a different story that 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 was the biggest thing for me like i think i think during that time i was showing my age here but like i was in middle school like 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 junior high school, like grade seven, grade eight, and uh, I, 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 there's also just a sense like, oh, the Leafs are playing, are playing the Senators in the first round. Okay, let's 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 look ahead to the second round opponent because the <laughs> Leafs just cannot lose to them. Like like Darcy Tucker chasing around Daniel Alfredson and just like he pretty much eliminated him. And and yeah, you, you saw how many points Hosa put up. It still didn't matter. Like, uh, like for, for some reason, and, and I, I think I think on the, those Leafs teams, it was like like Gary Roberts, Matt Sundin. I think uh, McGillney was was on the, was on those teams at, at was on one of those teams at some point. And yeah, like like, like those. It's kind of weird, but like those were like for for me like like the glory years of the Toronto Maple Leafs, which obviously wasn't great because they didn't accomplish that much. I absolutely detested Daniel Alfredson when he rocked Tucker with that hit from behind. And, you know, it almost is going to take something like that to reignite this rivalry. I mean, like you mentioned uh, about the Battle of Alberta, Rob, like as soon as Cassian and Kachuk got going um, and Cassian got suspended, I mean, everybody, all eyes were on this game the past, uh, from this past week. So, uh, I'm with you. Like, there's no better rivalry if you're a Maple Leafs fan than the ones they had with the Senators. There is a complete hatred going on with those teams, and it's gonna, it's not gonna 
it's not going to get uh, reignited until both teams are very good and the Leafs have taken steps in, in recent years, whereas the Senators seem to be trend, uh, treading water a little bit outside of the playoffs. So um, I think the future's bright in Ottawa. Obviously, they've got some high picks coming up in this year's draft. Um, so for you know interest sake and just having some exciting hockey to watch as a Maple Leafs fan, I think I think you part of you wants to cheer a little bit for the Senators to get good and get better and just have that competitive rivalry going on once again in Ontario. Yeah, and it's just better, I think, for you know hockey in this country when uh, all the Canadian teams are are doing well, and it's all cyclical. There's going to be a time where you know some of these other Canadian teams are not going to be doing very well. I mean, the Oilers were that case for for many many years, and you can still make the case that now maybe they they aren't as good as they possibly should be when they've got a guy in uh, Connor McDavid and uh, Leon Drysital. But uh, the Senators, it, it just feels like it's been going on for way too long that they've been in the doldrums. They've been you know bottom feeders. They've got some nice pieces. I think Brady Kachuk is phenomenal a lot of fun to watch Thomas Shabbat I think is a great player as well so uh, they've got some pieces but clearly not enough to win on a a night-to-night basis at this point but uh, this draft coming up they are uh, probably going to land a couple of top 10 picks maybe even one two depending on how the the lottery balls fall which would just be an absolute windfall for the uh, Senators to be able to get a guy like uh, Alexi Lafreniere and maybe even a Quinton Byfield that would just turn their uh, fortunes around kind of like it has for the Maple Leafs you know getting Austin Matthews First overall, getting Mitch Marner uh, in uh, the draft as well very early on, William Nylander, and then they sign a guy in John Tavares. And and with this Maple Leafs team right now, they are winners of two in a row, and it's so funny how the uh, you know thoughts around the team have changed over the last uh, couple of weeks now with the bye week and the all-star break pass that you know they head into the break with uh, that awful, awful loss at home against Chicago to wrap up the first half, and everybody's thinking doom and gloom, and you know this team has had some uh, slip-ups along the way here of late. You know, are they going to be able to pick things up in the second half and they come out and they dominate Nashville, get a win there. And then they beat one of the best defensive teams in the NHL on uh, their home ice in uh, Dallas against the stars. And, you know, the optimism has, you know, churned up once again. And now it's like, okay, like this Maple Leafs team, maybe they've righted the ship. Freddie Anderson's not giving up all these soft goals anymore. And and this is the time to, you know, get back in the race. They are uh, still on the outside looking in at a playoff spot. Uh, No, they are not because last night Carolina lost and the Maple Leafs holding down the second wild card last night um, with that uh, Hurricanes loss. But the Florida Panthers, they've won six in a row. This is going to be a dogfight the rest of the way, Stephen, and and the Maple Leafs are going to need to pick up points where they can get them. And uh, tonight, you know, I'm sure some people are thinking like, okay, there's a still a small percentage that maybe they have a slip up. But um, even though Michael Hutchinson is in net tonight, I expect the Maple Leafs to dominate this game against the Senators. And, uh, you know, they're still in a great spot when it comes to the playoffs. This is far from over, but with the way they are playing and they can play, I think it's, I feel pretty confident that they're going to make it into the postseason. Yeah, this has been like the ebbs and flows, the ups and downs of, of this season, right? Like the, like, there was so much expectation for, for for this Leafs team to be dominant this season, and then obviously that didn't happen. Uh, the firing of Babcock, Keith comes in, they they kind of reignite, then then they slump, then they slump again. The the injury to to Morgan Riley, uh, like a, kind of a, a real downer for for this club. But they, I, I believe they're right. They have as many points as the Panthers right now. They think they both have 61 points. Yeah, at, the Panthers at, at the have uh, two games in hand, and they uh, have the tiebreaker right now. Yeah. Uh, uh, so 
all all things all things considering, like like it's been a, a pretty tumultuous season because they also had to have the Marner's situation in camp to, to deal with as as well. Uh, it's it it has been great, but like it's not it's not the worst situation to be in. Like like just to even be in the hunt, given the ups and downs that they've been going through, it, you have to you have to feel pretty confident, particularly because of that offensive firepower. Like at any moment, this team could explode for five, six goals. And like, no, they're, they're never out of a game, right? Because they have this much offensive talent. Uh, like kind of like looking ahead, they, you, may, you may think that like they may need to pick up a defenseman. Like, like I, I think they almost have to add on the blue line at the trade deadline, considering the expectation. Like they, they kind of have to make the playoffs. And uh, I think you should feel confident that they can make the playoffs. I think that they will still sneak in at this point. I think that's all you have to, you, that's what you have to be happy with. They, they, you know, scuffled in the early part of the season uh, under Babcock. And now while you were maybe hoping for uh, an improved seed from years past, now I think you're, just the reality is you need to try to get in any way you can, whether if it's one of those in the division one of those seeds in the division, sure. If it has to be a wild card spot, so be it. Like at this point, you know, you can't, beggars can't be choosers. You just need to get in. But for me, guys, they need to start playing way better at home. I mean, you mentioned, you mentioned the loss going into the break, Rob. They're 12, six and seven at Scotiabank Arena. I mean, obviously over 500, but I feel like you could, you know, for 12, six and seven, those are seven you know, one point games that could have been two point games that you could have gotten into the win column a bit more. So hopefully today they can uh, they can turn things around against Ottawa, who's terrible on the power play. And, you know, this is this is a matchup that we talk about, you know, in the last hour, how about how the Raptors are being up on their opponents uh, that they should that they should win against. Like the Leafs have to do the same. I know it's I know it's a, a quote unquote rivalry game and. You know, anything can happen on a Saturday night, hockey night in Canada. The, the Senators want to come in and obviously not lose to the Leafs, whether they're whether they're going good or not. So you can't just take these opponents lightly. You got to pick up the two points. And I think that they should they should be able to get it done tonight. But uh, like just the way the season's been going, it wouldn't surprise me if they kind of underestimate their opponents, especially with Hutchison and Nett. But I I feel like, Stephen, you bring up a good point, how the Riley injury has been a factor. And we're talking about how we've been impressed with the Raptors overachieving, how they, how they weathered the storm with all those injuries. Well, you know, if the Leafs are scuffling a bit, they've lost Riley. They lost Marner for, for times this year. So, you know, it's not really an excuse because other teams have dealt with it have dealt with it as well, mainly the Penguins. But, you know, I, I can kind of understand where some of the where some of the shoddy plays come from because there have been a lot of changes in season with this team. Well, it's really interesting when, you know, we talk about this Maple Leafs team and we, we tend to get bogged down in uh, narratives, you know, especially when it comes to their defensive play. And, and I would agree with you guys. I would love to see an upgrade on the blue line. But 
you know, I feel like people make it seem like they're the worst defensive team in hockey, which is far from the truth. I was just looking it up here on uh, Natural Stat Trick, which is uh, one of the best uh, hockey stats websites out there. If you go back to when Sheldon Keith took over this team, so November the 21st up until now, and you look at a stat like expected goals against per 60 minutes, and for people that don't know what expected goals is, it's uh, essentially a predictive model used to assess, you know, every goal, scoring chance, and, and you know, assessing it a value. And the Maple Leafs right now are uh, sitting uh, 20th. They are uh, 20th uh, worst in the uh, NHL over that span uh, with an expected goals of 2.35 uh, per 60 minutes. So per game, uh, you know who has, you know, slightly worse numbers than that? The Washington Capitals, who uh, a lot of people are looking at as a Stanley Cup contender. The Florida Panthers, who are winners of six in a row and everybody's looking at as a team that could potentially unseat the Maple Leafs in third place in the Atlantic Division. And right around the Maple Leafs, too, in 19th is the New York. Islanders, who everybody talks about as, you know, being this incredible defensive stalwart and, you know, Barry Trotz and the defense that he plays, like, so much better than the Maple Leafs. Well, the stats don't necessarily bear that out. Um, You know, Frederick Anderson has not given the Maple Leafs fantastic goaltending, and, you know, that has, I think, made the uh, idea that this Maple Leafs defense is worse than it is and, you know, planted that seed in people's heads. But when you look at the numbers, actually, they're not as bad as I think, you know, a lot of people would paint them out to be. They're not new. They're not the... uh, Uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, of course, who are one of the better teams in the league. Um, They're not ever going to be them. But I think people need to start realizing that this defense is far from, you know, the worst in the league. At the best, it's like middle of the pack. And with their goal-scoring prowess, as you mentioned, Stephen, their ability to, you know, pot four the other night, essentially, and then five in the empty net against uh, a team like the Dallas Stars, who give up the least amount of goals in the NHL. If you can do it against them, I mean, what are you going to be able to do against some other teams that, you know, aren't as good defensively as the team like the Dallas Stars? That, that you know, gives you a lot of confidence. I guess uh, when I say, like, they need to show up their blue line, it's not necessarily because of their, like, defensive play. Because, because like, that's not what this team's identity is. Like, this team is an offensive juggernaut. They're, they're built on speed, skill, scoring ability. Uh, but, like, the injury to Riley kind of handicaps the, what they can do, uh, like, on their, on their power play units, um, what, what, they can, what they can do offensively, right? So, so I, I, guess, I guess the point I was trying to make is he's a huge piece of, of the puzzle that you no longer have, and, and he's, he's, he's going to be still out for a long time yet. So if they're going to make this playoff push, and I, and I believe that they, this is a team that has to make the playoffs considering how much they've invested in, 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 the, in the team this season, uh, they, need, they need to find, like, not a true one-to-one replacement. You're not going to get that, but something, anything to help maybe shore up the, the second power play unit or, or, or even just, like, a third-pair defensive, defensive pairing, like, to help them, like just offensively from, from that back end, basically. Yeah. It's been interesting hearing some of the chatter regarding the, the blue line for the Maple Leafs, Mark, and, and what they might be looking for, that it's not just a rental like uh, we're seeing with Tyson Berry, that maybe the Maple Leafs are looking for a right-handed shot defenseman with some terms. So someone that's uh, going to be under contract for, you know, two-plus years. Matt Dumba's name is is definitely one that's been thrown out there. Josh Manson of the Anaheim Ducks is, is another guy. And, you know, we've talked a lot, I think, on this radio station about, um, you know, which pieces are expendable and what they're actually worth, whether it's a Kasperi Kapanen, Andreas Janssen, Jeremy Bracco, like what realistically would that bring you back? Um, Dumba and Manson, while I think they're fine, 
Um, you know, if you ask me which one I'd rather have for this team, I'd probably rather have Josh Manson than, than Matt Dumba, who is more of an offensive defenseman at this point. Um, but the the interesting thing is that, you know, insiders and people in the know are saying that the Maple Leafs are looking for someone with term. And we know with that, you're going to have to give up um, something. So I find that really intriguing that it's not just, uh, you know, a cheap rental that the Maple Leafs are looking for. It's, you know, kind of like Jake Muzzin, right? Getting a guy for, uh, you know, maybe more than a year uh, to be with this team uh, for the next little bit. Well, I'm glad that they're searching for a, a right-handed defenseman with term. Uh, I feel like all the other NHL teams would also covet something like that because, you know, right-shot demon are, are a commodity in this league. But, I, I, it's it, you know, I hate to I hate to mirror everything with the Raptors, but it's, it's one of those things where if you're going to be making a trade like that, you're going to likely have to move somebody out and, and mess a bit with the chemistry of, of this team, which I think... Is but I think in this case it's a it's a risk that you need to do if you're the Leafs because, it, you know you're it's not that I don't have confidence in the blue line when it's completely healthy. We've seen I you know it's it's simple to just make the comparison, but when the Penguins won the Cup, they didn't have a a name D man. It was like Justin Schultz and and a cast of characters. So it's possible to win with top heavy teams. But, like, you're an injury away at, from becoming very thin at that point. So uh, I would like to see them, if not get, you know, somebody with term, get some NHL caliber depth demon that you can maybe that, you know, with injuries that would happen during a playoff run, somebody that you're not afraid to plug in. And, you know, I think that they're also searching maybe even like not so much the position, but they're they're looking for some toughness i would i would imagine as well because you know there's going to be there's going to be times where in the playoffs it'll get a little bit chippy and i don't know if you have somebody that's going to answer the bell right now i mean who who would be the one to answer the bell in in scrums or or whatnot like jake muzzin who i think that you're asking a lot because he's already got to play top four minutes on an on a team that doesn't have a lot of studs on the back end so I feel like they probably need to upgrade the blue line and toughness. And I think that's why you're hearing guys like Dylan out of San Jose, uh, guys of that ilk as well. So it'll be interesting to see what they do, but I think it's a tough trade to make. Like, I think that you could get rid of uh, one of Kapanen or Janssen, but I don't, that those are the, but I feel like that's just low hanging fruit. It's, it's young forwards that the Leafs have a lot of and, you know, I, but I don't know if that's, if other teams are, are as interested in, in those guys. So it's, it's all rumors. It's all kind of scuttlebutt right now. And I really don't know what to believe. I feel like, I feel like I believe that they are going to try to upgrade, but I feel like it's easier said than done. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the uh, the toughness part, and you know you're not alone, of course. I think a lot of people would love to see the Maple Leafs go out and you know get a guy that can crash and bang a little bit. Uh, I'm sure a lot of Maple Leafs fans would love to have a, a Zach Cashin, uh, for instance. That is a guy that I'm sure a lot of Leafs fans would love, the blue collar type of guy. And, and while I still don't think that's that's going to happen, I don't necessarily you know buy into it either. But what I find interesting, you know, when you mentioned the first name that jumped to my head was Justin Williams, and we heard the report that the Maple Leafs were in conversation with him about potentially bringing him out of retirement. And the reason I bring him up is because he's a guy that's had a lot of 
playoff success. Maybe mental toughness is something, Stephen, that they're interested in. A guy that, you know, has gone through the rigors and has won Stanley Cups and has won, you know, Game 7s. And as we've seen over the last little bit here since coming back to Carolina, can still play a little bit too, right? So you're not bringing in a guy that's just, you know, all the intangible stuff there. They're looking at players that can potentially actually, you know, do something when they're on the ice too. So, you know, that that was sort of the first thought that I had when Mark brought up the toughness, that maybe it's not a physical thing necessarily, but it, it's to have, you know, the mental fortitude as well and maybe that's what they're looking for to be able to bring in someone on the cheap that you know has some uh you know playoff experience that can you know lend that to a team while you know there are a lot of guys here that have been in the playoffs haven't had a ton of success yeah like toughness to me uh this this team just isn't built that way like like, like this Kyle Dubas's team building philosophy has been very clearly like they're not looking for sandpaper they're not they're not looking for truculence right they're looking for speed they're looking for skill, and uh, I mean, like they 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 kind of they kind of experimented with that with a guy like Patrick Marlowe before, right? Where where like he he was a veteran, he has been through many many wars, and he had great 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 skating ability, right? It ultimately didn't pan out, but like a, a veteran like that in the room would really help this team. Who they have they have they have, they have like mental lapses, like they we see them in the playoffs, we see them sometimes. In the middle of games where they just kind of shut down and if they get down early they sometimes maybe can't recover and to your point mental toughness is the idea is like all right so we're down two goals but hey guys fellas like, like we we can score four in like five minutes because we are that talented we have this much skill so let's go out there and get it done um it might be a veteran like that that they can pick up in the trade deadline but either way, like like I said before, like this team has to make the playoffs. So yeah. I feel like they have to add something kind of like at the end of the month here. Yeah. And I'm not saying that uh, he is someone the Maple Leafs are targeting, but, you know, Chris Kreider is another guy I think would be an amazing fit, right? A guy that has that physical uh, part of his game, but can also score you some goals. Like that would be a great fit on this Maple Leafs team. But uh, that would seemingly be a pipe dream. I think they would rather be looking at a blue line upgrade before um, something up front. All right. When we come back, we'll uh, keep talking some NHL. The Battle of Alberta resumes tonight. Round Number four between the uh, Flames and Oilers. Is this exactly what the NHL needs at this point? Some, you know, feuding, some bad blood between a couple of teams that used to have it but uh, seem to be reigniting that flame. We'll uh, chat about it next here on the Sportsnet Hot Stove. Rob Wong, Mark Boffo, Stephen Lung on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Send us all your money. Sign up for our free podcast at iTunes or with your favorite podcatcher, and we'll send you a free subscription for Sportsnet 590 The Fan On Demand. Absolutely free. Sportsnet 590 The Fan. It's over. That's the time I fall in love again. And when it's over, that's the time you're in my heart again. It is a Sportsnet hot stove. Rob Wong, Stephen Lung, and Mark Boffa with you here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Does this constitute as a deep cut when it comes to Sugar Ray? Um, I think this is a single. I wouldn't say it's a deep cut. No. Just, you know, medium cut. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> I guess, know. like, if it appears on the radio, like, if it, if it appears on Top 40, I guess that's not necessarily a deep cut. But this is a classic album. Definitely a classic album. 
when it comes to Sugar Ray, who, uh, haven't they, like, tried to make a comeback? Didn't Mark McGrath say they were getting back together or something? Uh, I don't know, yeah. but I would, I feel like that's I would right highly recommend against it. If, <laughs> just, just, just saying. I feel like that's right up your alley because I know here at the station, uh, a lot of people know their music, but you know a ton because you know just like random references. You'll know like, oh, yeah, I remember that song, and you'll like be able to spit off a few lyrics or something. I figure Sugar Ray would be, you know, something that you would uh, be able to hit. Well, when I wake up, uh, there is a halo hanging on the corner of my <laughs> there you go. Bed. See exactly, that's what I was looking for. Mark Vaffo, uh, music uh, extraordinaire uh, when it comes to Sportsnet 590, the fans. So the Maple Leafs are uh, taking on the Senators tonight in the Battle of Ontario, but we've also got the Battle of Alberta, round number four between the Flames and the Oilers. We uh, got that great game the other night on Wednesday where uh, Matthew Kachuk and Zach Cashin finally had their rematch and uh, Cashin winning by, uh, I guess, TKO, if you will. It was not really much of a fight uh, for uh, Matthew Kachuk in that one, but as Cashin said, postgame, Love the fact that he was willing to drop the gloves, like respect um, all of that. Uh, we also saw a really random fight between Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Sean Monaghan on the undercard, which was very unexpected. <laughs> Did not expect uh, those guys to be duking it out. But, you know, this is where I'm at at this stage of, you know, this sport when it comes to fighting that I love when guys still get into it in the heat of the moment, like we saw with uh, Nugent Hopkins and Monaghan. Like, that was not a stage fight. They didn't chirp at each other and say, hey, you want to go? There's kind of a tussle, and and all of a sudden it turns into a fight. The Cashin and Kachuk stuff, that's... I don't want to say that's where I have an issue because we all understood coming into it that it was most likely going to happen. Uh, but it was... I it had like, to happen. It, it had to happen in the sense of, you know, the players policing themselves. And I know there's people listening right now that are, you know, saying like, oh, you're just too new school and blah, 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 blah. And, uh, you know, fighting is part of the game. Players should police themselves. And... You know, I used to be that guy uh, growing up, you know, watching uh, Rock'em Sock'em, right? I used to love watching that kind of stuff. We were just talking about the Battle of Ontario before, you know, thinking about guys like uh, Ty Domi, of course, and uh, thinking uh, of players of, you know, those days in the early 2000s that we loved here in Toronto, and they hold a special place in our hearts because of, you know, what they did. Colton Orr, like, you know, guys like that. Um, but the thing that keeps standing out to me was a couple of years ago, when uh, Daniel Carcillo, former NHLer, um, who's done a lot of things for the game outside of hockey now, um, it was his player's Tribune piece. And I think in that piece, he basically said, um, like, if I could erase my name from the Stanley Cup and, you know, get my life back to where it was before, where I wasn't dealing with all these injuries and, you know, post-concussion stuff, like, I would. And that really hit me. It's like, this is a guy that won the ultimate prize, um, had a really solid career in the NHL, and he would have traded all of that for not having to deal with what he's dealt with post-game, uh, post-career, I should say. And then I see a situation like, you know, Matthew Kachuk and Zach Cashin, and nobody got hurt, obviously. But with what we are starting to know and what we already do know about head injuries, they have long-lasting results and impact, right? And let's say Cashin and Kachuk fought there, and Cashin knocks out Kachuk, and he hits his head on the ice or something. Obviously, it's a hypothetical. But those are the dangers that we have when you're in situations where guys are punching each other in the head and that's where i'm at it with this point i'm looking at player safety as opposed to you know players policing themselves uh you know hockey and fighting it'll always be hand in hand i think um you know maybe we do get to a point where it is you know barred from the game and banned from the game um but 
what I did like about the rivalry heading in was that there was some excitement and maybe there was going to be more physicality. Uh, but the fighting stuff, I think for me, uh, with my evolution as a hockey fan, I've st- started to you know kind of get uh, a little disgusted by it because when it comes down to it, it really isn't a part of the game. The the point of the game is to put the puck in the net. It's not supposed to you know be punching each other in the face. Like it's crazy when we see it in other sports. Why can't it be the same when it comes to to hockey, Stephen? Well, uh, to your point about, about like kind of concussion and CTE and like kind of the after effects of getting getting punched in the face. Uh, like I, I, I'm a big boxing fan. So I think about all the stories that come out from just combat sports in general, really, uh, where, you know, like when you, when you get punched in the face and, and, and boxing is, it's, uh, they're, they're wearing gloves, right? So there's, there's a level of protection there, but like bare knuckle getting, getting, getting punched in the face. Like I, I can't imagine that's, that's going to help you very much in life later on. So I, I do I, I do agree with you that like I, I've always found it kind of weird that uh that fighting is just a part of the game in, in hockey. Like like I, I, I sort of understand like like kind of like the unwritten rules like in like in baseball, like uh like sometimes you just have to plunk a guy. Yeah. Right? I'm not saying I don't get it. I get <laughs> yeah. it. Like we all we're all hockey fans in this country. We understand, you know, why it's a part of the game. But like like you're the point that you're making is yes. just like it, and, it, it doesn't and, fit, right? It doesn't and, seem to fit. And ultimately like I kind of bring this back to to tonight's game like uh Lames Oilers, you know, like uh when it first started like like Chuck with with those those two massive hits and then Cassian kind of jumping him afterwards. The Flames won won the game. Um, Cassian w- wins the fight last time, like earlier this week. The Flames won the game, right? Like so, ultimately, like what's what's more important here that like Cassian gets his small victories, or like like the Oilers want to win? Do they, do, do they not? Yeah. So maybe instead of like focusing so hard on this one player who is very good, is a very talented player, right? But like maybe try to score more goals than than your opponent, yeah. right? And maybe I'm a hypocrite with this, Mark, because, you know, for people that have listened to this station before, people that know me, I'm a big UFC guy. I love that. But that's actual fighting. Like, that's what's supposed to happen. They don't play. uh, I think I saw somebody making a joke the other day. How hilarious would it be if two boxers were fighting? And then in between, they played a game of hockey. uh, And then they went back to duking it out. Like, I understand UFC, that's fighting. That's what it's about. They're supposed to be punching themselves, uh, punching each other in the head. But... You know, I think of the NBA, for instance, and we think of all the drama, whether it's a guy, a rivalry like Russell Westbrook and Patrick Beverly. Yeah, there's a... a Look what happened in Madison Square, uh, like right, with the, the Knicks, other night, with the Jay other Crowder, night, right? Marcus yeah. Morris. Like, there's always a higher than 0% chance that guys are going to get physical and guys are going to throw punches, what have you. We go back to last year, Marquise Chris and, and Serge Ibaka, right? That's, that's a great example. Like, there's always a chance that's going to happen. But when I watch Rockets and Clippers games... I don't go, man, I'm excited for Russ and Patrick Beverly to duke it out at some point here. I just go, man, it's going to be great when Russ, you know, crams it down or puts up a triple-double and chirps Patrick Beverly on the other side for being like, you can't guard me. Like, that's what's exciting about that. Um, Like, in this situation tonight, I don't know if we're going to see a repeat of it. I highly doubt it because it seems like they did settle the score. But would you be shocked tonight if Milan Lucic decides to stand up for Matthew Kachuk and drops the gloves with Zach Cashin tonight? Well, like, you know, it wouldn't surprise me only because it just seems like it's an organic rivalry at this point. You talked about the the staged fight between Kachuk and Cassian. I think that was a bit of, you know, they had history from the previous game. That was a bit of an outlier there. But when you're seeing, like, Nugent Hopkins and Monaghan go at it, like, you know, it, 
I don't think that they're dropping the gloves if it was, if it's like a, a Calgary, uh, you know, Nashville game or like a Oilers, uh, you know, stars game or something like that. Like it was genuine dislike between the two teams that had built up. And I think that it hit a boiling point with those players too. So like, you don't want to see anybody get hurt, but you do want to see, at least in my opinion, you know, some physical hockey where you're seeing, where you're seeing some genuine competition and, and hatred between the two teams. And you want to keep it civil. You want to keep it, you want to, you don't want it to hit a breaking point, but I feel like, this chippiness is good for the game in the long run because it just adds to the rivalry. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting too. And, you know, maybe until the league bans fighting, we'll, we'll never know this, right? Because, you know, there's always been that hypothetical that people have put out there that if you take fighting out of the game, then, you know, stick work's going to go up and there's going to be, you know, we're going to see, uh, you know, Dale Hunter on uh, Pierre Turgeon all those years ago. Like, we're going to see just like dirty, dirty stuff going on and nobody's going to be able to, you know, pay the price for, you know, the the checks that they're cashing on the ice. and. <laughs> I don't know necessarily. You know, this game is it's clearly impossible to know. It's impossible to know it. until we see it. Like this game is clearly moving towards more skill, and you know, there might be some people out there that aren't a big fan of that. They like to see the fighting. They like to see you know things of that nature. The game's always going to be physical. Uh, it, it's just nature. Like that's just natural. It's a collision sport. Uh, heck, you know, people like to make jokes about the NBA and how uh, those guys are soft and blah 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 blah. But if you ever played a game of basketball, you know it's a physical sport. It is yeah. not. It's a contact. It's sport. a contact sport. Basketball is about as physical as it gets. But, if uh, you've ever played. You, you, you mentioned. You mentioned basketball. Like I think think of basketball in the nineties and the in the early two thousands and basketball now. Like like that that was a rough, grimy game. Like 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 the bad boys think about the bad boys pistons, uh even the Kobe Shaq Lakers, right? Like 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 these were like physical, bruising kind of kinda of, kind of teams. They played slower style. They would have elbows, guys were getting like there were literal fights in, in the NBA. Guys were like punching each other, right? The rules changed. Rules adapted. There were more stricter kind of rule, kind of kind of policies, particularly after the malice in the palace. And now the the game um, to a lot of people has never been better, right? Like uh, because uh, guards can can shoot better, have a lot more space to move. There's a lot more three pointers. The the ball can can move better. And this doesn't say there there isn't as there isn't a lot of physicality in basketball. There there still is, but. You're not seeing like uh, like for example, uh, Kurt Rambis or Kevin McHale taking out Kurt Rambis anymore. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, for sure. And when it comes down to it, I think you know the Battle of Alberta. Uh, it definitely draws a lot of interest into the game. I, I think that's good for the NHL. Um, but in the end, like for me, it's just about player safety. Uh, you don't want to see anybody get hurt, whether it's Matthew Kachuk, whether it's Zach Cashin. Um, you know, the physicality is is one thing. The stage fighting is a completely different thing for me. And uh, tonight will be interesting because they already had the uh, game the other night where they seemed to settle the scores. But, you know, would we be surprised if uh, there's some more fisticuffs, if there's uh, more things uh, of that nature tonight? I definitely would not be. But it uh, should be fun either way. Always is when these two teams square off. Uh, coming up later tonight as it's uh, round four of the Battle of Alberta. When we come back, final segment of the program, we'll uh, chat about the Super Bowl, which goes tomorrow night, Chiefs and 49ers. It is the Sportsnet Hot Stove for Rob Wong, Mark Boffo, and uh, Stephen Long here on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
Sportsnet Hot Stove, Sportsnet Radio Network. Rob Long, Mark Boffo, Stephen Long with you. Just got about five minutes left here in the program before we switch over to Sportsnet today. Super Bowl goes tomorrow night. 49ers and Chiefs from Miami finally ready to get the big game going. All the talk is uh, almost done. We get one more day to chat about it. And, you know, sometimes leading up to the Super Bowl and I'm trying to examine how I feel about the game, I'll, you know, go back and forth and be like, "Eh, yeah, like I can understand how someone would view it that way. And then I start leaning towards one team and then I hear somebody else talk about it and I go, "Eh, maybe the other team. I've been pretty steadfast in this one, guys. Like, I understand what the 49ers are about. They have a great run game. Their defense is absolutely elite. But I just keep coming back to Patrick Mahomes and what I've been able to see from him, not only this year, but last year as well. This guy's the best quarterback in the NFL. He's got so many weapons. This Chiefs defense, while it isn't great, it's not terrible. It's not the worst defense we've ever seen. But I just keep going back to Mahomes and that arm and the legs and what this guy's able to do. Andy Reid with a couple of weeks to prepare. I don't think it's going to be a blowout by any means. I think it's going to be a close game, but not saying the 49ers don't have a shot, but I do like the Chiefs to find a way to get the W uh, tomorrow night in Miami. What about you, Steven? Yeah, my pick are the Kansas City Chiefs as well, uh, mainly because, uh, I mean, we we saw what the, Chief, what the Chiefs did to the Titans, which is obviously they're not as good as the Niners, but they're a similarly built team as the Niners on, on defense and and the run game. And uh, I just think there's absolutely no answer to how much speed the Chiefs have uh, from everywhere, like uh, from their from their running backs to uh, uh, obviously Travis Kelsey, their receivers, and Mahomes himself. Because as as soon as you like, if you drop like eight back trying or seven or eight back trying to prevent them from going out, from trying for all the weapons from like going down the field. You still have to account for Mahomes' legs as well. Uh, there's just there's no answer to to everything the Chiefs can do with Andy Reid's uh, offensive ingenuity and genius. The only way that they lose is if Reid's uh, unfortunate time management problems uh, rear their ugly head again. I'm leaning the Chiefs as well, guys, but I feel like it'll be a lot closer than than most people think, and I think a huge factor is going to be who scores first in this game because we've seen in the previous games uh, for the Chiefs in this playoff run that they can come back. They came back from 24 down against the Texans. They got off uh, to, a uh, you know, not a bad start, but the Titans drew first blood uh, in, the, in the championship game and they were able to storm back. Now, I don't know if they'll be able to storm back with the same force that they did against those teams, uh, against the 49ers. That's obviously a vaunted defense. But if they get up, if they get up early and they score first, I don't know if the 49ers will be able to come back just because of how potent the Chiefs' offense is. But if the 49ers get up early first, I don't know if you know the Chiefs can come back as strongly against you know, them in that defense as they did other teams. So I still think offense beats defense uh, and I'm leaning the chiefs, but uh, I still don't think you can take the 49ers lightly. They're in the big game for a reason and their defense is, is that is as advertised. So I'm looking forward to a good game tomorrow, but my pick is still the chiefs. 
Yeah, I think I'm going to be, uh, you know, leaning the Chiefs all the way through in this one. But I'm with you, Mark. I think it's going to be a close one. I think it's going to be uh, exciting. The halftime show should be great as well. Jennifer Lopez and uh, Shakira, two of the uh, biggest, you know, pop stars in the uh, world right now. And I get like, is JLo even a pop star at this point? Like, when was the last time she actually put out a song? Like, she's just been acting. She had really. a movie. She had a movie, right? right? She was in yeah. Hustlers, but uh, like, she hasn't been actually doing music. Like, what was her last big song? Like, it was a while ago, right? Waiting so. for tonight. <laughs> I think she's done songs since then, but like it's been a long time since she had like a tar a chart topper. I think you know what we got J Lo, we got Shakira. I think you might even see uh, a little appearance from uh, Mister Three Hundred Five. Really, Pitbull? Is I that mean, a rumor? Or are you just, I'm just you're calling your shot. I'm throwing it out there. If we're gonna if we're gonna be bringing uh, the Super Bowl to Miami, you need to bring a little Miami to the halftime show. So uh, Mister Three Hundred Five, Mister Worldwide, Pitbull, I wouldn't be surprised. You sound unreasonably excited about this. Yeah, he's well, he's gonna be bringing up you know you know he wears the gloves right but instead of like those gloves that he normally wears he should be wearing like receiver gloves i think because <laughs> of the uh, super bowl it'd be uh, perfectly themed but yeah pan am games from the pan am games to the super bowl what a jump up for uh pitbull in the last uh, several years but should be a lot of fun tonight hope everybody uh, has all their snacks and all their food ready chiefs and 49ers squaring off in the super bowl down in miami that'll do it for us on this edition of the Sportsnet Hot Stove, thanks to Stephen Lung and Mark Bonfo. Coming up next, it's Sportsnet Today with myself. We'll do the 411, and then later in the hour, chat with Todd Warner, Maple Leafs and CHL analyst at Sportsnet, and uh, Louis Zatzman of Raptors Republic, chatting about the Raptors, who have now won 10 in a row. It is the Sportsnet Radio Network.